Okay. Why do you guys come to youth group? I know, as I was growing up, the main reason I came to youth group was my friends are there. I want to be with my friends. I want to, beforehand, I'm texting them, are you going to be there tonight? Or I'm hoping they'll be there. When I get there, I'm looking for them. If they're not there, it's not going to be a good night. I'm not going to have fun. And, you know, maybe it's the same for some of you. You come because you want to be with your friends. Or there's a special someone who you guys are thinking about before you come. You're like, I wonder if they'll be there. You text that person. You say, are you going to be there tonight? And then when they get there, you look for them. And you're always looking for ways to sneak up on them, to talk to them, or just be really close to them, or maybe ambush them. Whatever it would be. I think you guys know what I'm talking about. I think. I know it was that way for me. Some of you guys probably did that tonight. It's okay. It's okay. You're not alone. I want that same attitude to be in our hearts towards the Lord Jesus Christ. That we come and we say, Lord, before, before youth group, we text him through prayer. <laughs> and we say, if you're not there, it's not worth being there. I want you to be present as we sing. I want to be with you and hear you speak through the word. I want to have you with us when we're discussing the truth and we're praying together. And then when you're here at youth group, you're gathering together with people, you're thinking, how can I get closer to Jesus? How can I speak to him? We want to be, and so you, you get your friends together, you say, let's talk to Jesus together. Let's talk to God our Father. So, this sermon is about prayer. The title is, We Pray. We want to be a youth group that is characterized by prayer before, during, and after our meetings on Wednesday nights. We pray. And I've got three points. We pray to our God, second, in community, with faithful focus. We pray to our God, in community, with faithful focus. And so, yeah, as we get into prayer, probably what comes to your mind is when you think about your prayer life is, it's not that great. It's not much to brag about. And maybe you're often very discouraged when you pray because it's hard. And that, there's many things that hinder our prayer life, but I'm just going to highlight three for this first point. So they are doubt, shame, and difficulty. What makes prayer so hard? Three hindrances, doubt, shame, and difficulty. Doubt, we think to ourselves, does prayer really work? Does God really care? Is he really going to hear me? Shame. Maybe you've messed up this week. Maybe you've messed up today. You've sinned against God. You've committed something you thought you'd never do again. And you feel like, how can I come and sing songs? I feel like a hypocrite. How can I come and pray to God when he's so holy and I'm so sinful? Shame keeps us from praying. Doubt, shame, and difficulty. Praying is just hard. For some of you, you think, I don't know what to say. I don't have any feelings when I pray. It's not easy. And I honestly just think it's boring because it's hard. So doubt, shame, and difficulty. Those are three things that keep us from prayer. And this first point is what? It's we pray to our God, our triune God. And when we know who our God is, I want you guys to see that that just obliterates those hindrances if we truly believe who he is. So first of all, the first hindrance to prayer is doubt. And I think, and I want you guys to see, when we know our Father and how great his love is for us and how strong and powerful he is, we don't have to doubt that he is a God who loves to answer prayer. 
So, is doubt something that hinders you from prayer? Listen, listen to Matthew 7, 7 through 11. It says this, Jesus, Jesus' words, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you? If his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give, give good things to those who ask him? Our prayers, not just transactional, we're not just coming to a vending machine, we're coming to our Father. And he gave himself that name, and he wants us to call him by our Father, that name, because he's telling us something. He's telling us two things. First of all, I delight, like a father delights to give good things to his children and provide for them, I delight to give you whatever you ask if it would be truly good for you. That's the first thing. Second, he says, but besides that, I just like to spend time with you because I'm your father. I like to hear your voice, to see your face, to hear you tell me how your day went, giving thanks to me for the highs and trusting me for the lows. God, Loves your requests. He, he just loves you. He wants to spend time with you. He is your father. So, we don't need a doubt when we pray. He says, ask, and it will be given to you. James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, here's one thing. That if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. If someone asks you for a bite of your burger, just say, okay, Sure. But then they take a really big bite. And you thought you were giving generously, but now you've got reproach in your heart. God gives generously to all without reproach. He gives, and he's willing to give more if you ask for more. He says, ask, and it will be given to you. So if you know your father, then you'll know that he is both willing and able. He is both loving and strong to answer your prayers and give what is best for you and what is most to his glory. So prayer is about a relationship and a request. It's a request that happens in the context of a relationship to our Father. So know your Father. That'll obliterate doubt in your prayers. Second, we're praying to our God, and second hindrance is shame. You've sinned. You sin continually, and you feel like you'll never overcome that one sin in your life. Well, if we know Jesus Christ the Son, our great high priest... That will not be a hindrance to prayer. Listen to 1 John 2, 1 through 2. Little, he says, Little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation of which means the sacrifice of atonement that takes the wrath of God against our sin. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus Christ's sacrifice is so sufficient that if all the world were coming to him at once, it would be enough. It's like a bank account that never dries up, that never runs out of resources. You can come to him. Every time you sin, you can come to him. You're right. You're right to think that your sin would keep you from God, that your sin would keep God from hearing you. That's a right view of your sin. 
It's just not a right view of how great God's grace is. You can come to Jesus Christ and he will forgive you. You can come to God the Father whose heart is wide open and he will receive you through Jesus Christ. So now your shame and your guilt, instead of being a hindrance to prayer, makes you even go even faster because it's only in prayer before God through Jesus Christ. That's the only way your sins can be forgiven and you can know assurance and your shame can be taken away. Don't let your shame hinder you from prayer because Jesus Christ is your advocate at God's right hand. Third, what keeps us from prayer? Difficulty. It's too hard to pray. I don't know what to say or have any energy or focus to say it. I just find it boring sometimes. Does any of you ever feel like that? I have a lot of hard, I have a hard time praying sometimes. But if you know the Holy Spirit, we've got the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If you know your God, the Holy Spirit, that also just demolishes this hindrance to prayer. Listen to Romans 8.26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. What's an area where we're particularly weak? Paul, Paul mentions. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes with groanings too deep for words. I don't have time to explain that verse, but at least we can see there. We're weak, and especially weak in prayer, and the Holy Spirit was given to help us. And if you go to passages like Ephesians 2.18 and 6.18 and Jude 20, it tells us that we have the privilege and duty of praying in the Holy Spirit. That means two things. The Holy Spirit helps us in our prayers in two ways. First, by his word, the Bible. And second, by his presence. So... You don't know what to pray for? The Holy Spirit has written a book. And it's got a bunch of prayers in here. The Psalms is a book of prayers. Not only that, all of it can just be turned into a prayer. And I don't have time to explain that now, but ask your leaders later, how do I turn the Bible into prayer? How can I use the Bible to help me and give me things to say in prayer? So he gives us the Bible. And second, he gives us his presence. There's joy that the Holy Spirit gives us. When we're normally weak in prayer, he can lift up our souls, give us joy, give us life, and satisfaction when we pray, and give us energy to pray. So, if you know the Holy Spirit, that destroys that hindrance to prayer, you know, in how difficult it is. He helps us in our weakness. So, we pray to God. We pray to our God, our Father, through the Son, Jesus Christ, in the Holy Spirit. That's what Ephesians 2.18 says. It says, through Jesus Christ, we both have access in the Spirit to the Father. So, prayer is not just coming to a vending machine. It's not just a genie in a bottle. We're coming to the God who loves us and has saved us. If you feel forsaken, rejected, and unloved, you can come to God as your Father who has brought you in and adopted you as his child. If you are burdened by sin and fear and doubts or never feel like you can do enough to measure up, the good news is you don't have to because Jesus Christ lived for you and he died for you. He lived in your place and he died in your place. And when you are depressed and discouraged and weary and joyless, your life feels dry and dull. You have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you give you true life, new life, joy. 
And if you don't know God, if you've never been a person of prayer, because that's what a Christian is, you can begin right now. The first prayer of every believer, the first thing we ever do in our spiritual life is, is pray this prayer. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And he delights to show mercy. So you can come to him. Turn from your sins. And he'll have mercy. We pray to our God. Secondly, we also pray in community. We're not alone when we pray to God. God's not only adopted us as his children. He's adopted a whole family. Brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers, as 1 Timothy 5 says. And we all get the privilege of not just praying to God our own, but with each other as a family. Enjoying a relationship and bringing our requests to God. The, I've just got two verses for this. It's Ephesians 5, 4 says, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. They're out of place when believers are gathered together, when we're with one another. Any place in our life, they're out of place. What's proper, though? Ephesians 5, 4. Instead, let there be thanksgiving. When you're talking with other believers, tonight, every Wednesday night, every Sunday, let there be thanksgiving. Thank God for what he's done for you. Material and spiritual blessings. Another verse. I love this verse. 1 Timothy 2.8. Paul says, I desire. What does Paul desire? I desire then that in every place men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Some, so some of our conversations can be full of filthy joking. He says, give thanks. Other times, our conversations are characterized by anger or quarreling. Or maybe we're gossiping about someone behind their back. We're all pretty and cutesy with them when we're with them. But then we go and we're trying to get everyone on our side to fight against them. But he says, here's what I want to see instead of that when I walk into the church. Men. It applies to women too. But lifting up their hands without anger or quarreling. Instead of gossiping about that person, why don't you pray for them? Because they're your brother or sister in Christ. So we pray together and we give thanks together. And I just really quick, we're praying in community with one another. Obviously, if you're only praying in community, Sam just read that passage earlier, which is a great help to me. It says, you're probably not doing it out of love for God and other people. You're probably doing it to just show people how spiritual you are. So, don't only pray socially, also pray secretly. That's what if Matthew 6 talks about, if you want to go there at another time and read it. Pray in secret. So I want to give you three just suggestions of how, as a community, we can pray secretly and socially. So the first thing about how we can pray secretly. First, in your own private life, set a timer. Maybe start with five minutes each day and just say, I'm not going to stop praying until this timer goes off. Some of you might think, that's so, that's so much time. Some of you might think, that's not t- any time at all. Just set the timer for whatever time you want to and pray. And keep that. Keep that. Be disciplined with that. And it will become a joy. Second, pray indiscriminately for believers. Pray for everyone in the group. Not just the people you like and are friends with. And if you're a guy, not just for your bros. Pray for your sisters, too, in Christ. And don't just, don't just pray for the ones that you think are cute. 
Pray for everyone. <laughs> Even the ones that annoy you. And it goes both ways, guys and girls. Pray indiscriminately because we're all one family and we all have one father. And then pray specifically. This is the third one. Pray specifically, maybe for the people in your life group. Get the names of every person in your life group and ask them prayer requests and make it a goal. Each week, I'm going to pray for these prayer requests. Maybe get note cards or get a note in your phone that has all that. So that's how we can pray secretly. Set a timer, pray indiscriminately, and pray specifically for people in our life group. That's how we can be a community of prayer in our secret life. Now, also, socially. How can we pray socially? One, when you're here, you read youth group, Redeemer students, oopsie, <laughs> each night in your ordinary conversation, the youth group, ask people, how can I pray for you? Ask them how they're doing and ask how you can pray for them. And then, instead of saying, I'll be praying for you and then forgetting about it, put your hand on their shoulder, pray for them right there. It is so encouraging. People do that for me all the time and I'm always just like, thank you. I love that. <laughs> Second, another suggestion don't just ask for other people's prayer requests. Tell, tell them yours. Tell them your burdens. Tell them people you're trying to share the gospel with so they can pray for them too. And tell them things that God has done for you that you're thankful for so that you can together give thanks to him. And then third thing, how we can pray socially. Plan times to get together with other believers to pray. Maybe come before youth group like 30 minutes early or 20 minutes early. Pray with other believers. And come to prayer night. So those are a couple suggestions about how we can pray in community. And doing that just grows us in our unity and our love for one another. There's nothing that will make you love someone more than just praying for them. So let's be a group that prays to our God in community. And then the third point is we pray with faithful focus. We pray with faithful focus. And now, finally, we're going to get to the book of Colossians. So you can turn there if you're not already there. I'm not there, so I'm going to go. Okay. So, the book of Colossians it teaches us two really important things about prayer. We should pray with faithfulness. We should pray with focus on things that really matter. And before we get into our passage, there's some other ones in Colossians that I want to look at. Look at Colossians 4.12 just like two pages over. It's talking about Epaphras, the one who brought the gospel to the Colossians originally. It says this, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. Epaphras is always struggling. Now look at Colossians 2, 1 through 3. This is talking about how Paul is also an example of prayer for us. 2, 1 through 3. Paul says this. For I want you to know how great a struggle, there's that word again, I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. He's never even seen these people and he's praying for them. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance in the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I just want to note one thing from those two verses. They're struggling. That word struggle, it means just that, to struggle. It means to fight. It means to strain and strive and wrestle with all your might. And that's encouraging. 
And it's challenging to us. It's encouraging because it tells us that even the Apostle Paul struggled with prayer. It wasn't easy for him. It was hard. There were times when he wanted to give up. So it's encouraging for us in that. It's also challenging to us. Because it says that he did struggle. And he did persevere in his prayer. And he could say with honesty to them, I always struggle. I have a great struggle for you. So do you wrestle in your prayers for other people? That's an example of faithful prayer. That's why I say we, we pray with faithful focus. Struggle for other believers in this youth group. That they'd overcome their sins. And now we'll talk about what's the content of those prayers. What's the focus of those prayers? And we will come now. Colossians 1, 9 through 14. I'll read it. And so, Paul's just giving thanks for them. And now he says, and so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Look at that faithfulness. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance and the saints in light. We'll read that last part later. So I just want to note three things about the focus of his prayer. If you look at the passage before, like the first, first eight verses, he, talks, he thanks God for their faith in Jesus Christ, their love for other believers, and their hope in heaven. And now, he prays that they grow. He says, it's present already. I want you to grow in it. He prays for their faith and their love and their hope. Their faith is verse 9, their love is verse 10, and their hope is verses 11 and 12. And I'll show you that. First of all, Notice he says he's praying for them that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Here, the word knowledge is will, when we read that normally, we would think that means God's commands, what he wants us to do. That's what I used to think, and then I realized it's actually talking about the gospel. It's talking about the mystery of his will. God's plan of salvation that he's now revealed in Jesus Christ, coming, dying, and rising again. So what's Paul praying for them? That they grow in faith in spiritual wisdom and understanding of what Jesus Christ has done for them. Spiritual means that it's the Holy Spirit who creates that. Uh, it's in 1 Corinthians 2. It says, We have not received the Spirit that is from the world, but the Spirit that is from God, so that we might know the things freely given to us by God. The Gospel. The Holy Spirit is what he teaches us the Gospel. So, when you pray for other believers, pray for them to grow in their faith. Pray for them to grow in their knowledge of Jesus Christ. His great mercy and love for us. And we say this not by our works, but because of who he, what he's done for us. Verse 10. He says, I want you to grow in the knowledge of his will so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. He wants them to grow in love. Love is the motive behind all our obedience, all our pleasing God, it's love for God, love for our neighbor. And notice that word, so as, in verse 10, right in the beginning. He's saying the way that you're going to grow in love is if you go deeper into Jesus Christ and what he's done for you in the gospel. Know the gospel more deeply so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So pray for that for other believers. Pray that their life fully Fully 
would be pleasing to Jesus Christ. And I know some of you guys, myself, all of us, there's parts of our life where we say, I want all of my life to be pleasing to him, but I just can't seem to overcome this sin. We need someone to pray this prayer for us, that we would be fully pleasing to him. Every part of our life submitted to our gracious Lord, Jesus Christ, who died for us so that he might free us from our sin. We want to please him. And so we need other people to pray for us. And we need to pray for others. You've got brothers and sisters here who want to please the Lord, but they're fighting. And sin is hard to fight against. They need your prayers. So pray for the believers to grow in faith so that they might grow in love. And then verse 11 and 12, pray for believers to grow in hope. May you be strengthened with all power. Verse 11, according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. So he says, I want you to endure and be patient with joy. Why do they have to endure? Because they've got trials. They've got sufferings. Are you guys suffering? (laughs) Are you going through any trials, temptations, maybe in the last weeks? You've probably needed help to endure. God's power to help you endure, to resist, stand firm against temptation and sin and suffering. He says, by God's power, you can not only endure, but do it with joy. But how? How are we able to endure with joy in the midst of trials? Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. That's another way of saying you'll be with the Lord in heaven. You will be there. Like that song you're singing, I can't wait for eternity. All sin and death will be destroyed and we'll get to be with the Lord forever. That's our inheritance. And so how do we endure with patience and joy? Our hope. Sinners like us will be with the Lord forever. Forever. We'll be with our, our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in perfect love and joy for all eternity. So pray for believers, for your fellow believers to grow in faith in Jesus Christ, in love for God and for others, and hope. You know you need those prayers, so pray them for others. And just think about that. God has qualified you, if you believe in Jesus, to share in in the inheritance of the saints in light. That word qualified, it's used only one other place in the New Testament. And there also, it means... Well, think think about the Olympics. There's a really high standard to get into the Olympics. And I don't think any of us in our room are going to be able to meet that standard. It's way above our level. I was happy just to get onto the blocks in high school when I was on the swim team. But God has qualified us. And we couldn't meet the standard. He has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in life. How do you become qualified for heaven? You have to be a saint. You have to be perfectly holy. But God has qualified us. He somehow made us meet that standard even though we are not holy. We are sinful still. How? Because Jesus Christ has washed our sins away. He has purified us. He has sanctified us. And he is sanctifying us. He is making us holy. God qualifies us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And then Paul just goes off about what the Lord Jesus has done for us, what God has done for us. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You and I, 
And some of us still are under the dominion of Satan and sin and death and darkness. But God brought us out into the kingdom of his beloved son. And all our sins he forgave. And he has redeemed us so that we might belong to him. So, rejoice if you believe in Jesus Christ because all that's true of you. And you get to come to God in prayer as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You get to pray to our God in community with faithful focus. It's a privilege and it's a duty what we all have. So, do that. And then, for those of you who don't really, you've never really prayed truly, never prayed at least like this, to a God like this, who is so merciful and good, you can do that right now. The Father is willing and able to adopt you as a son or daughter and make you a saint, an heir. The Son, who has earned the glorious kingdom by his obedience and sufferings, freely offers to share with you by grace the reward that he earned. And the Father and Son together offer you the soul-refreshing waters of the Holy Spirit to give you true life and joy in his presence. So turn from your sins and pray that first prayer of faith, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And he has promised, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Will be saved. Everyone who calls on his name in their despair and their sin. Come, you sinner, poor and needy, weak and wounded from the fall. Jesus ready. He's ready. He stands to save you. Full of pity, joined with power. God is willing and he's able to save and to hear your prayers. So, let's pray. Let's pray to God in community with faithful focus. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for how good you are to us when we are so sinful and weak. Thank you that we get to pray. And open up eyes tonight to see you, maybe for the first time. Be glorified in our meeting. In Jesus' name, amen.